Open your Bibles to Exodus chapter 4. Exodus chapter 4, are you there? If not, you can look on behind me. Sign, my Bible says signs for Moses. God needs to give him some signs. Moses answered, what if they do not believe me or listen to me? And they say, the Lord did not appear to you. And then the Lord said to him, what is that in your hand? And he says, I have a staff. And the Lord said, throw it on the ground. And he throws it on the ground and it becomes a snake and he runs from it. And the Lord said to him, reach out your hand and take it by the tail. So Moses reached out and took hold of the snake and it turned back into a staff in his hands. This said the Lord is so that they may believe that the Lord, the God of their fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob has appeared to you. And then the Lord said, put your hand inside your cloak. So he puts it in his cloak and when he takes it out, it was leprous like snow. So you had the snake and now you have this leprosy thing. He says, put it back in your cloak. And he said, so Moses puts his hand back in his cloak. He takes it out. It was restored like the rest of his flesh. And then the Lord said, if they don't believe you or pay attention to the first sign, they might believe the second. But if they don't believe those signs or listen to you, take some water from the Nile, pour it on dry ground. The water you take from the river will become blood on the ground. And and, and so you got the snake, you got this leprous thing, and then you got the water turning into blood. And then Moses continues in his line of excuses. Oh, Lord, I've never been eloquent, neither in the past nor since you have spoken to your servant. I'm slow of speech and of tongue. And the Lord said to him, who gave man his mouth? Who makes him deaf or mute? Who gives him sight or makes him blind? Isn't it I, the Lord? Now go. I'm going to help you speak. I'm going to teach you what to say. But Moses said, oh, Lord, please. Send someone else to do it. Has God ever asked you to do something and you just come to that point? God, please, please, please send Tony. It's the Super Bowl, God, please send someone else with all this snow. And then the Lord's anger burned against Moses. And he said, what about your brother Aaron the Levite? Okay, I'll come up with a solution. I know he can speak well. He's already on his way to meet you. His heart will be glad when he sees you. You shall speak to him and put words in his mouth. I will help both of you speak and will teach you what to do. And he will speak to the people for you. And it will be as if he were your mouth and as if you were God to him. But take the staff in your hand so you could perform miraculous signs with it. And so Moses returns to Egypt. It says, Moses went back to Jethro, his father-in-law, and said to him, let me go back to my own people in Egypt to see if any of them are still alive. And Jethro said, go, and I wish you well. Now the Lord had said to Moses and Midian, go back to Egypt, for all the men who wanted to kill you are now dead. So Moses took his wife and his sons, and he puts them on a donkey and started back to Egypt. And he took the staff of God in his hands. And the Lord said to Moses, when you return, see that you perform before Pharaoh all the wonders I have given you the power to do. But I will harden his heart so that he will not let the people go. And then say to Pharaoh, this is what the Lord said. Israel is my firstborn son. And I told you, let my son go so he may worship me. But you refuse to let him go. So I will kill your firstborn son. Awesome. The, the call of God on the life of Moses. God, this is 80 years in the making. And then it says in verse 24, this is the passage as a pastor, you hope people don't read and ask you about. But it says at a lodging place on the way, the Lord met Moses and was about to kill him. God, you've been working on this for 80 years. Now you meet him and you're about to kill him. 
But Zipporah took a flint knife, cut off her son's foreskin, and touched Moses' feet with it. What is going on here? Surely you are a bridegroom of blood to me, she said. So the Lord let him alone. And at that time, she said, bridegroom of blood, referring to circumcision. God, we thank you for your word. It transforms us. It changes us. It shapes us. It's immutable. It never changes. It always has the same power. Your, your very words are resonating from before time out into eternity. The same God, the same word. So, Lord, we, as the people of God, get to sup at the table of your word. Let us, let us just be moved by the reality of your presence with us and your word spoken to us. God, we honor you today. Bless your people. Give us just, we only have a few moments together. Let our attention be set on you. Move me out of the way. Holy Spirit, speak to your people. In Jesus' name, let the church say amen. Okay, you can have a seat in the presence of the Lord. You know, marketers know how to get you to buy into a hook, don't they? You know, some people here probably work in business, might work in uh, marketing. You know, and one of the ways that you do that is by selling a human personality as if it's bigger than life. You know, most of us last week, we actually were quoting something that we learned from a marketer when we watched the game. I don't know how many people say, why, why would you pass the ball? When you got beast mode, you got beast mode with you. Give it to beast mode. That's because he was wearing beast mode on his shirt. So we take that term and we take the personality and, and we make it a part of this idea, a person. We love to grab on to the personality. See, in my day, we didn't have beast mode. We, we had a guy that could just, just soar, soar through the sky. You guys know what I'm talking about? It was like, you just soar. You know, so you had a guy dunking, and, and, and you know, I, I don't, you just fly from the free throw line, and all of a sudden, they took this image, and they just, they just blacked it out and made it into something, okay? Now, wherever you go, sports marketing has changed dramatically because of this symbol right behind. Does anybody know what this symbol means? I mean, people were killing people over these shoes when I was a kid, because... This Jumpman logo had me believing in an idea that if I got that Jumpman on my feet and I took to the courts and I leaped, all of a sudden, I would be up there around the rim. I would be playing this level of game because somehow, because Michael Jordan embodied this flight, if I had this product on my feet, I too would embody. But my mom was white. Some of you all will get that later. That's okay. We love thinking about a person and then placing the emotions on the product. That's the way marketing is. So when you see Chris Paul and his imaginary twin brother working for State Farm, all of a sudden you get this idea because his ability on the basketball court is so proficient. If I, if I hire them for my insurance, there's a piece of that proficiency. That'll come along with it. See, isn't that how we operate? 
We love the individual, this person, this, we have a tendency to do the same thing with the text in the Bible. Let me unpack this. We love to take a human personality and make it bigger than life. Well, we've left this one building and here we are and we've made this exodus. It's kind of like Moses. It's like Moses. Moses is so often, he's a, he's a man, because that's how we've been trained to think. This individual gives the value. That's how we think about everything. So when we look at this text, here's where your mind starts to go. Look at Moses. Why did he do this? Or why did he do that? And why did he react this way to this? And how did he feel? But church, listen, if you ever want to grow up in your studying of the scripture, that is a very bad way to study the Bible. Isn't that what we do, though? So you read through that passage I just read. Here's your, here's your points you take away. Well, he's making excuses. So here's our first point. Don't make excuses about your life. You need to accept responsibility when God calls you. Now, that sounds like a good principle, right? But that principle is based on Moses. So then you see his boy Aaron coming alongside of him. And the next principle we come to is this. Don't let someone else take the role that God wanted you to have. And that's, that could really preach well, couldn't it? Don't, don't, this is your calling. Don't make excuses. And then don't take the role. If someone else, don't let Caleb come up and take your role in your life. And this is the principles we gather from this passage and we get excited, but we have to remember a very important guiding principle first. The word of God is never centered on any man. As a matter of fact, the whole book isn't about men. It's the book is always centered on God. How many people would rather hear about God than some man? See, this is the same God in Joshua chapter one who comes on the scene and says, oh, Joshua, Moses, my servant, my slave, he's dead. Now you need to stand up and go deliver the people. Wait, but Moses is a big deal, God. Yeah, he's a big deal to you because you love making idols out of people. But he's not—he's no more special than any person sitting here today. The only thing that makes anyone special is that God decides to show up and use you for some purpose in your Nothing else matters. That's why we should be standing like Isaiah. Here I am, God. Use me. Anything. Well, my, I have designed you to just go to your neighbor's house and shovel their snow every week. Well, I don't care what you, as long as I can do whatever it is you've made me to do. That's the only thing that will make your life valuable because God is always the main actor. Look at someone and say he's the main actor. See, we know that as a church, I've been reiterating that over and over, but until it's just so much a part of our mindset, it's great and I'm, it's so good to be the pastor, but if, God, if something happens to me, God's going to raise up someone else because I'm just a servant. Amen? You all okay? Everything good? You all tracking with me so far? Okay, stay with me. God is the main actor. So whenever we come to this text, rather than asking what in the world is going on with Moses, we should be asking a different question, right? What is going on with the God we all serve? What is he up to in this passage? Because this is not, Exodus 4 is not a biography of Moses. 
It's a story about God who decided to reveal himself to someone who was just lowly and small named Moses. You all want to find out just for a few moments what God is up to in this text? Is that all right? Here's what we see about God. The first thing we see is this. God will meet you where you are at to sustain your lack of faith. If you're taking notes, write that down. God will meet you wherever you are at to sustain your lack of faith. See, Moses went on in chapter 3, and he starts making all these excuses. And now in chapter 4, more excuses. But how many people like the excuse he gave right at the beginning of chapter 4? He goes, let's just make this real simple, God. I know we had this moment at the burning bush, and it was awesome. It was amazing. But they're going to say to me that you didn't appear to me at all. You know, the worst thing about golfing is if you get a hole in one. No, it's true. If it's by yourself. No one is going to ever believe you got that hole in one. Well, I was out there. No, well, who was with you? No, see, I'm, te- I'm telling you. See, that's Moses, God. Look, we did all this. The bush, the whole thing. You spoke, the hollow ground. It was amazing. It was amazing. But when I get over there, they're going to say that never even happened. God says, okay, okay. They, that's a good point, you know. God decides to give him a sign, and he gives him three signs. He says, what's that in your hand? And he holds up. He's got this rod in his hand, and he throws it down, and the rod turns into a snake. See, unlike the Egyptians, they would take a snake, and they would just paralyze it from its neck, and it would just sti- stiffen up. And then they would take that snake, and they would throw it on the ground, and then all of a sudden it would jolt it into movement. And it was like, look, the snake is moving. It was a rod, and now it's moving. But this is a real snake, and I want you to grab it by the tail. It's going to turn into wood. See, Pharaoh had a snake on the top of his crown. You all have seen the images and seen the pictures. He had this snake, and it was this Egyptian symbol of power and control. And and this power over the snake, God says, first off, their main source of power that's sitting on his crown, I'm in charge of the snakes. Then he says, next thing you do is you put your hand in your shirt, and it'll come back out, and it'll be leprous. See, because in that culture, if some disease started ravaging the people, they had nothing that they could do about it. It was a sign from God that he was moving against the people. So here they are. And now, so not only do I have the power of the Pharaoh with the snake, but also the diseases are in the power of my hand. And then just in case they don't get that, they love the Nile River. And the Nile River, it was a part of their sustenance and for fertility gods and it helped the land and God's blessing to them was contained in this Nile river he says and you're going to grab some of the Nile river and I'm going to turn it to blood so I'm over the snakes I'm over the diseases and I'm over their gods of the river I'm over all of it and I'm going to give you all of these signs and Israel and everyone is going to look up and say surely Yahweh is with you maybe for you that would have been enough That's enough signs. But Moses is always, he just needs a little bit more. Here's what you can get from this passage. How many people here have uh, grown kids? Okay. I I see my niece Kendall up there. Is she driving yet? Did you all see that? 
No, 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 no. You know, I don't know about you, but maybe if you could think back to when your child got their driving permit. Or maybe you're walking through that trial right now. Just, just stretch your hands forward. Lord, be with them. And see, and then they want to drive. All of a sudden, they get proud, and they want to drive with you in the car. And you're just praying, oh, Lord. And you need a few trips probably around the block just to make sure they're getting the basics. Is that right? But then at some point they say, hey, there's something going on and the youth are going up to a camp in Wisconsin and now we got to drive on the expressway. And then you start praying for real. Start praying in tongues, really pleading the blood, putting oil on the car. Only you, Jesus, only you, only you, only you. You know my child, you've raised them and all these things. See, you needed all of those signs before you can start trusting them. Don't you need a few signs before trust can be built up in that relationship? Now listen, listen to, whenever you lack trust in something, you are operating from a position of superiority. Whenever you lack trust in something, you are opposite, uh, operating from a position as if you are in authority. When your child and that driving situation, you are saying to them, I know what is best. Okay. Some of you are already there because whenever you are operating with God, as if you know what is best, you are operating in a superior position to God. Whenever you need a sign to help you through your, you're saying, God, I just don't, I know what is best. See, if I were God and I created humanity, I would always respond with how he did Job in Job 38 through 40. Job, what, what, God, why is this and this happened? And why did this and all my, oh, God, what's going on? And God says, who, who is this that obscures my words without knowledge? Man, brace yourself like a man. This is what he says to Job. Brace your, man up, brace yourself right now because I, I got to talk to you. Where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? Do you even understand, Job, who marked off his dimensions? Surely you know. Why don't you tell me if you understand who laid the cornerstone while the morning stars sang together and the angels shouted for joy? Job, Job, do you know any of this? Where were you when I shut up the sea behind the doors when it burst forth from the womb and I set its bars and gates and I made the clouds its garment and I wrapped it in the thick darkness of the night when I said to the sea, this far you may come and you can't come any Further. Job, where were you at? Job, have you given orders to the morning? So you said, let God start talking. Have the gates of death ever been shown to you, Caleb? Connie, for real, you worried about that? Have you seen the gates of the deepest darkness where no soul has ever traveled? Have you seen the storehouses of snow? You are worried over 20 inches of snow. Do you Have you seen the storehouses of snow where I store, or hell? Who can cut a channel across the torrent of rain? Or a path for a thunderstorm? That's how I would respond if I were God. Lord, how am I going to make it through this week and this, the finance? Gee, are you worried about paper? 
Do you realize that you're only walking because I'm holding your body? See, whenever you start talking and asking God questions, I pray he doesn't respond like me. I should kill you right now for praying about that. You worried about this nonsense. See, if God ever really responded to our prayer request, it would silence us all. You're so worried. You think you're going to die this week? Do you know what's on the other side of that? Do you know what it's like to be in my presence where there is joy unspeakable, where every tear is white? Do you even know what you're worried about right now? So don't let God start talking to us. Because when Moses is asking for signs, he's saying, God, I am in a position right now where I know what is best for my life. And this is it. And the God who is eternal in nature, who created everything ex nihilo out of nothing, doesn't say, Moses, where were you? He humbles himself and he gives him signs. Here's the principle we learn about God. He's not above coming down to us and giving us signs to prove to us that he will be trustworthy. Man. He's not sitting back on his throne saying, you need to believe me or else. He gets into the muck of our lives and he gives us signs to help our unbelief. How many people are grateful for a God like that? He gives us these signs. Now, listen, I have been praying about this. So you all got to just track with me because we were thinking, how do we fund this? How do we keep this thing moving? And I just came up with a great, a great way where we can raise funds today. How many people are with us? Okay. All right. Just track with me. I need all the married people to take their rings off. Take your rings off. No, we're going we're gonna to pass around the offering basket. No, it's fine. We're going to melt it all down, and we will have plenty of funds for the rest. Some of you all got that 25th anniversary ring. It's fine. We're just going to go with it. And we're just going to place it in the basket, melt it down, and it's going to be an awesome thing. Hallelujah. Let's give God praise for his provision. Provision. See, my, my, my wedding ring is not a very expensive ring. I think it's platinum or something. That was the hot metal at the time. We got married uh, 13 years ago. Uh, and, and it's really, it's not really, we spent, I was in college at the time when I proposed. So all my money we spent on her ring. You know, that man's ring is like an afterthought. You know, it's like, I don't know. Oh, okay, that's work, you know. What I'm saying is it's not that expensive. But if I lose it, it, it would bother me. When I go to the gym, I know I'm lifting weights or doing whatever, so I set it in a safe place in my house, and I go to the gym, and then when I come back, I put it back on. And I always put it in the same place because the sign, my ring, it's not the value of it, but the thing that I'm wearing on my finger points to a person. And the sign points to a promise. And this ring that I have on my finger has a tremendous amount of, of subjective value. If you found it in the street, you would just be like, what is this? Let's take it to the pawn shop. But if I lost it, it would bother me to no end. I would begin to search through my house. See, God knows that. So what he does is he gives you and I signs along the way. 
That's Acts 17, isn't it? God has placed each one of you all in different places at different times so that he might reach out to you and find you, though you are not far from any one of us, for in him we live and move and have our very being. See, God is always coming down to our level to help our slowness and our, our, our lack of faith. Some of you all got signs. God kept you with a sign. He brought you to him with a sign. We like to forget about him and leave him in the past. I wouldn't be preaching today if he didn't interrupt my life and give me a sign that his presence was with me. Can I get an amen from somebody? You know, I was ta- talking with Mrs. M about her sister and the, this fibrosis thing was in her lung and it, it was a death sentence. And they go back a week later and we were praying and everything else, and they go and it's like, well, we can't find that anymore. But what we do is God has given us signs all along the way, but we take those signs and we just forget about them. That's why David said, Lord, I got to remember you from the heights of Hermon and how you did this in my past. We need to hang on to the signs, but God is not above coming down into the muck of our mess and our drama and giving us a sign that he is present and he is with us to help out our faith. Amen. Somebody should shout about that. In verses 10 to 12, we find out that God is greater than our inadequacies. And I'm going to have to keep this moving. Moses says, I am not eloquent. I'm not a man of many words. I'm slow of speech and of tongue. And let's assume that that's true, even though Stephen in the book of Acts says he was powerful in speech. I tend to believe that this was just an excuse that he was making. But the Lord still responds, who made your mouth? I did. Even though, even though we realize that Moses, he was one of the top officials in Pharaoh's camp. But God comes in and says, who made your mouth? Even in areas of your life or his life that he thinks he's inadequate in, God enters in and makes him adequate. See, God has a tendency to always pick the most inadequate people. So, you know, people here are so spiritual, but that, that could have been, oh, God, I still have a shot. He loves to use people who got issues and mess and stuff going on. He loves it when you're inadequate. That's why Moses says, I can't speak. And David is a nobody, the least of his brothers with a lust problem. Jacob is a trickster who fooled his patriarch Isaac and his brother and his mom helped him. Peter has an anger problem cutting people's ears off at prayer meetings. Paul is a murderer and a blasphemer. Joseph has pride over his brothers. You know, we always like to... You know, talk about Joseph and his coat and all this stuff, how good he was. But he tricked his brother, put the gold cup in his brother's bag, had his whole family just, oh, what's going to happen? Come on, Joseph, you didn't have to do that at the end and be like, I got y'all. You know, God uses people like this. I mean, just look at these guys. They're not special. Abraham is lying all the time, putting his wife, go ahead, sleep with her. She's my cousin. I don't even know who does that. Rahab was a harlot. I could just go through the whole. See, God loves, if you ever read your Bible honestly, he loves to choose people that don't make no sense. Inadequate, got issues. Bad reputation, something going on. Family life messed up. Things are going on. How would God you? Because God loves to choose people that are inadequate. 
See, if there's something going on in your life that you think disqualifies you, if there is a stain on your history, when God calls you, you can say, God, that's what happened. That's my inadequacy. I can't speak that well. But God is the type of God that likes to make you sufficient, even in the point of your inadequacy. If you have anything going in your life, you fit right in around here. Because as 2 Corinthians tells us, so that when you, God uses you to change a city, when he uses you to change your neighborhood, when he uses you to minister to your friends and your family, all of a sudden it says the overwhelming power will be from God and not from us. That's why he uses people messed up. So he can get more glory. Because once again, it ain't about uh, see, I'm not just talking about you. I'm talking about me. You don't know how many times I've been called into a hospital and someone's on their last moment and I'm looking up saying, God, I don't have a single thing to say to bring them up. I'm not good at this. And, and I just begin to pray. And in, God, in my own inadequacy, God says, who made your mouth? Don't you believe my Holy Spirit is residing inside of you that I'm going to speak to you, give you the word. Be quiet. Lord, just move in this place. I, you may have been sitting dormant because of some inadequacy in your life. You need to let that junk go. I want to evangelize. I want to reach out. I can't speak. God is telling you who has made your mouth and who has allowed your history. You didn't. You think God is outside of the control of even the ups and downs. God does. A, look at someone and say God is bigger than your inadequacy. And look at someone else you know ain't right. Say, God is way bigger than your inadequacy. Don't do it. 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 All right. I got to keep it moving. I only have a couple minutes now. Let's go. Third point. He will never put more on you than you can bear. And he will also tell you about it in advance. Bible says that, you know, he protects us from despair. In verse 23, God says this. He will harden Pharaoh's heart so that he will not let the people go. Moses, I got a great mission for you. By the way, uh, Pharaoh's not going to let him go. Imagine God calling you and telling you, by the way, you're not going to be successful in this endeavor. It's kind of going to go bad, and Pharaoh's going to be like, I- I'm just not letting him go. You're going to be rejected. He also said that to him in chapter 3, verse 19 and 20. So he's telling him, God in his kindness is telling him what he's going to be up against. It's helpful to know what you're going up against, isn't it? Because then you'll know how to respond to the resistance. The Lord says in John 16 uh, to his disciples, I have said all of this to keep you all from falling away. Well, what did you say? He said, the world will hate you. The world will persecute you. They will kick you out of the synagogue. People will come to kill you, and they're going to think they're doing a service to God. But I said all that so you won't fall away. God likes to let you know a little bit about what you're going through. I remember one night, I'm going to put them out there, but uh, Coach always sending me these texts. I love these texts you send me, Coach. It's always a Bible verse or something. But as we were starting in this process and going through some of this, and I was dealing with slander and different things, I get a text message from him that says, Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but God's going to deliver them from them all. So it was almost like, just get ready, expect it, let it happen. But here's the thing. God will still deliver you 
from them all. He loves to warn us in his kindness. Thank you, Jesus. See, that's Paul and Barnabas in Acts 14. He says, we must go through many afflictions to enter the kingdom of God. I love the fact that he is so honest that he doesn't hide the truth of my existence from me. He's so honest. Well, I'm going through a trial right now. Well, many are the afflictions of the righteous, but God will deliver you from them all. All right, I got to get into this last point. I, I got a couple minutes. I know you all say, keep going, keep going, right? But we, we got to be out at noon, okay? I can't keep going here. The last point, and I want you to get this in your spirit if you don't get anything else from this text in Exodus chapter 4, is that he's the God who destroys our false image of him. Verse 24 through 26 is a very strange passage. The Lord is going to kill Moses. That, I don't know about you, but that seems like, you know, they say like that escalated quickly. That just seems like it escalated so quickly. Here you are, you're making these excuses. All of a sudden, God jumps on the scene. I'm going to kill him. I'm just going to kill him. And his wife comes along, Zipporah grabs a knife, circumcises her son, and just throws the flesh at his feet. This is just a crazy scene. And we start asking questions. We say, why didn't Moses circumcise his son? I don't know. Maybe he was in Midian and he felt that it didn't matter. Maybe he forgot the covenant that was given in, in uh, Genesis 17. We don't know why. All in all, in Genesis 17, God made a covenant with Abraham. And a sign of the covenant is, is that you have to circumcise every male on the eighth, eighth day. That's just the sign of the covenant. And Moses didn't do it. But then we say, well, God, why are you getting so upset about this? You seem to just fly off the handle. This is not the God that we wanted at Freedom Church. We kind of want a different God because you're getting upset about something. So, you know, why are you getting so upset about this, God? Because maybe because Moses' neglect showed that he didn't care about the covenant. It doesn't matter. You know, Genesis 17 says, if, if God, the one who is not circumcised will be cut off from his people. Who's going to cut them off? God's going to cut them off. Well, God, this is going to shock everybody. But God requires obedience. Oh, you don't have to, oh, no. And Moses, how can you walk into a nation and call people to obedience and worship when you're not even following in obedience and worship? You know, you as a side note, don't ever be so caught up in the call of God on your life that you neglect the little things that matter like your kids circumcision. Now, I'm not saying that, but I'm, you know what I'm saying. But when I hear when I read this and I still say the Lord met him and sought to put him to death, I still don't like a God like that. Like, come on, 80 years. God's willing to throw away 80 years of planning and his process and being in Pharaoh's thing and living in Midian and preparing him to lead the people. And he's called of God. God's ready to throw it all away on this this, don't you ever get to the point that you think God would never do something that you deem to be unreasonable? We kind of think that about, God, you wouldn't do this. 
If you've ever got to the point where you think something unre- God's doing something unreasonable, I have another question to ask you. Who is it that you are worshiping? The God of, your, of the Bible or the God of your own conception? Here's what this teaches us, that God may not always meet our easy, breezy expectation and our ideas of who he is. Because we love to fashion a God in our image. See, that's Romans 1. They exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshiped and served created things rather than the creator. I just want a God who cuddles me and hugs me and tells me all of my sin is just fine. God, that's the kind of God I want and just prosper me. That's all. There's no drama, no nothing. But a God who wants my obedience, that ain't right. But see, God loves you too much to let you walk away in your disobedience. You know, one of my kids is sitting here with us today. You all know why. He's five. It ain't like he's into this sermon. See, because one, one, a couple weeks back, one of my other kids was getting into some trouble in the children's church, and they came to me a couple days later. They said, well, you're, somebody was messing up and this and that. I said, listen. If my kids mess up in your presence and you don't discipline them, you don't love them. And if your kids ever come to my house, they're just going to be a part of the whole crew. They're gonna, they, they might catch a few blows. I'm just saying. Because I actually love them. See, now, but here's the thing. They have to come to me and talk to me. Because when they talk to me, they say, it ain't because they're the pastor's kid, we just treat them like this. I talk to pastor, they know me, and now they know not who they thought I was, but who I really am. People have an idea. See, I don't want to know who the God is that I think he is. I want to know him as he really is. Because then I can worship him rightly. That's the question you must always ask yourself. Are you worshiping the God of the Bible or the God you have invented out of whole cloth who wants to just shower down just good stuff on you and do that and do this? And whenever you need him, you could call him and he's right there and that's it. But he doesn't require your obedience. You've missed the God of the Bible. But see, I'm okay with a God that acts crazy like that because he's also the type of God who says the whole world is in trouble and I'm going to do something so drastic that I couldn't imagine or think of. And he says, I'm going to send my son to die for all of them. And if they trust in him, they will have everlasting life. That's the God I serve. Stand with me all over this place. Lift up your hands, church. If you want to know this Jesus, I'm going to be standing out in the hallway. If there's anyone that wants to meet Jesus, I will be out there. And we, the pastoral team, we will pray with you out there. If anyone wants to know this Jesus, we serve. But God, today I pray for your people that we will continue to worship and love and serve the God of the Bible, not the God we have invented. I thank you, God, that you warn us, God, of any situations that are coming our way. I thank you, God, that you stoop low enough to give us signs in our lives. God, we honor you and we bless you and we praise you today. In the mighty name of Jesus, let the church say amen. God bless you all. If you want to stick around for the movie, you must go pay for it.